Hi there, I'm Scott Hamilton, Rockfile, back with another podcast review for your ears, talking about the brand new Amazon movie, The Tomorrow War. My short review for this movie is, if you have Prime, watch it. If you like sci-fi movies, action movies, Chris Pratt, any of the above, watch it. It's two hours and 18 minutes, put together well. It meanders a little bit. It could be shorter, could be a little better, but it wasn't bad. There's your short review. (laughs) Really. I've watched a lot worse on Netflix, Amazon, and other streaming services for free. This one, you know, I was entertained for two hours and 18 minutes. It is a little long, but... I was never bored. So the long and the short of it, I won't get into too many spoilers. Until towards the end, I will get into spoilers because there's a couple things I want to talk about. But the beginning part of this review, you're safe. So you've probably gotten the gist from the trailers. You've got Chris Pratt, former Iraq war veteran who's teaching science to high school kids, trying to better his life. And all of a sudden, while they're watching uh, the World Cup, a whole bunch of soldiers from the future come and say, we're from 30 years in the future and we need your help. They're fighting an alien menace, and it's not going well. They don't tell you any more than that in the beginning. We get about 40 minutes of of into Chris Pratt's life, his character, um, some of of the other things that are going on in his life, what's led to some of the decisions he's going to make later on in the movie, of course. Um, And then we're off and running, and it's pretty much an action movie from there on out. It, It... differentiates itself from previous alien invasion movies because it does stop down a few times and take some time to tell character stories, to to get into some plot points with the characters, some drama, some family stuff. And there's a lot of action fans out there who would be like, okay, you stopped down a little bit too much for that, but you know, I, I wouldn't fault them for it. They're trying to elevate this B-movie idea to a higher level, and they kind of do. Uh, Chris Pratt does great in the role, but you will be disappointed if you're coming to see the Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt or even the Jurassic World Chris Pratt. This is a guy who's worked for some of the biggest movie franchises already with Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World. He's used to the green screen stuff, but it's like here they've told him to kind of don't do as many wisecracks. Don't don't be that guy. We're going to give some of those lines to this other character, which the other character does fine, but he's almost irritating because you're like, really, I, I expected this kind of stuff out of Chris Pratt. But that's more me putting it on the actor. I think he did a fine job in the role, and he's different than he is in a lot of other movies, which that's called acting. Um, I really like J.K. Simmons, who pops up in movies all the time these days. He's in great shape now. He's got this giant beard, but he wears a tank top. He's in great shape. Um, I thought he was great in the role. A few of the other actors, actresses are from TV backgrounds. And so I, you know, I think they spent a lot of budget on special effects and Chris Pratt and and getting the, the script off the ground. I think they saved some money in some other places. This was Paramount Pictures produced. It was going to be released theatrically in December of last year. It was finished. They finished filming in January of 2020. It was going to be released around Christmas of 2020. And then because of the uh, pandemic, they pushed it back. And it got a July theatrical release, but in January, Amazon reached a deal with Paramount and paid about $200 million for this film, which has led people to say the budget was $200 million. And I don't know if it was, but it certainly is a big budgeted movie. There are a lot of practical scenes in in reality um, that are pretty well filmed, 
A lot of explosions, cars flipping over, things like that. Non-CG special effects. Yes, there's a ton of CGI. You couldn't do hordes of aliens overrunning things otherwise. But there's a lot of practical stuff. There is a lot of uh, location stuff. This was a, a pricey movie to make, you can tell. And it's all up on the screen. It looks great. It's not a bad movie, as I said in the short part of the review. We have seen better alien invasion movies, and we have seen a lot worse alien invasion movies. This falls towards the mid to upper end of the spectrum. It's not terrible. It's It kind of gets derivative in places, but then it's really creative in a couple of places, and you're like, hmm. It's maybe another pass on the script is one criticism I would give it. Zach Dean, who wrote this, when, when you see a movie like this, some of these movies that have come out lately have had five and six screenwriters on them because there's a lot of money involved. Somehow, Zach Dean, who's only made a couple of movies, was given the, the writing job on this script. Um, I don't really understand how movies like Deadfall and 24 Hours to Live... 2012, 2017, leads you to the Tomorrow War. And then this this list of movies that are coming out over the next couple of years, it's like, wow, he's got all these scripts and stuff. And um, I don't know much about the guy, and the script's not bad. It, it reminds me, and I said this in a previous review of science fiction movies, sometimes I like seeing science fiction movies made by people who don't normally do science fiction, because then you'll get some not the usual tropes and some more interesting things. I think this guy does like science fiction, probably does have. And so some of the, they don't fully explain like the time travel thing. I'll get into that when I talk a little bit about spoilers. They, they, they created a limitation on the time travel that works for the movie, but may not work for physics. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's not my area of expertise. But I just think it, it's a conversation I've had in multiple reviews. How does a new screenwriter, and I don't mean new, he's probably been toiling in, in independent productions for years or whatever, and, and it's a degree and background and all that kind of stuff, but how does somebody go from, I haven't really done much, to here's my script for a $200 million film? There have been many, many movies over the last few decades where movie studios have taken a chance on an untested screenwriter or an untested director, and sometimes it comes out great. You get something like, wow, we didn't even know that he had this in him or she had this in him. This is great. But most of the time, it doesn't work out. Like, the movie falls short of where it could have been. Now, with Chris McKay, the director, he's got a lot of experience. He was a co-director on the Lego movie. He made his feature film debut with the Lego Batman movie in 2017, which was much better than it should have been. I mean, really, this is a Lego product placement kind of film, and it was really good, really funny. Um, and he's also attached to do a superhero movie. He's going to do a Nightwing film, they say. But other than that, he, you know, his background is animation and assistant directing and TV and things like that. And he took a big chance on getting out there and doing this movie and did it pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with Nightwing. And I also read that he's working on Johnny Quest. He also was the writer, didn't have anything else to do with Doolittle and was an uncredited writer for reshoots. So. But he did work on all the Lego movies and a few small movies before that. And this he handled it. You know, could a more experienced director done a little more with the movie? Quite possibly. But this is an epic film. There's some epic scenes, and he keeps it all running. Like I said, th there's a couple of times where they stop down to have some family beats, some character beats and things like that, which I think could have been maybe tightened up a little bit. I think the whole movie could be tightened up a little bit, but 
all in all, you know, this comes off as a much better than a streaming film. This was going to get a theatrical release and probably, probably deserved one. If I were reviewing this in the theater, it would fall a little short from what I expected. But as a streaming film, it's fine. Like I said, you're already paying for Amazon probably. So this story is is worth watching. It's well put together. It's well acted. It's well made. It's not superb. It's not five stars. It's not going to win an Academy Award. But for a, a Thursday night, it was it was totally fine. Now, I'm going to get into a few spoilers now. First up, the whole time travel mechanic. They explain it as, if you don't want to know, tune out now. Imagine you put two railroad cars on a track and you can transport between them, but you can't move them. Like they continue down the track. So they have this 28 or 30 year window. That wasn't really super clear, but they have this window that the time link thing works. And it's basically 30 years. They can go 30 years back and they can go 30 years forward. But that 30 years is always moving up that, that, that time frame. I don't know. Uh, I, I would probably ask a big physicist to explain a little bit more about that. But that gives them the thing where they can't just jump in any other time. Because somebody asked very early on, why don't you jump back to before the alien invasion and just stop this before it starts? <laughs> now, there, this is a spoiler, and it's something that happens in the movie, and I'm pretty sure I was pretty clear on it. The, Not to give away a big plot point, but we're getting into spoilers here. When he goes to the future and, and, and has to work with a military scientist, it turns out to be his grown daughter, which is, I think was actually handled very well. He doesn't know it at first, and then he realizes it, and then, they, then they, have, they have to get their stuff out of the way, and then they have to work together. It's all expected and what you expect from something like this, but, um, you know, it was well done. But, but at one point when they figure out, they're creating a toxin to take out the female of the race because they're very hard to, you don't see them. Almost all of the creatures you see in the movie are males. These females live underground. The males are very protective of them. It's a hive kind of thing. Um, so they're trying to create a toxin to take out the female. And when they finally get 100%, when they finally know it's going to work, she says... I need you to take this back to the past and mass produce it because we can't do it here. Okay, that makes sense to me. That they don't have the resources, they don't have the people, send it back and maybe they can stop all this. And she says, and you can stop all this before it starts. Well, then when it actually happens, there's a big action scene and his his seven days are up and he gets, that's, that's also part of the, the mechanics of this plot device, is that you're conscripted for seven days. You go to the future and fight for seven days. And at the end of seven days, the thing they put on your wrist automatically brings you back, alive or not, you know? <laughs> and... And so it's going to end there. And they, they ramp up this giant action scene where he's in the middle of saving someone's life and he gets pulled back in time, of course. Well, when he gets back in time, I don't know if this was a reshoot or an addition or whatever, he's he feels like he's screwed up. Like He took it back with him and they can't do anything with it because once he gets back, the time link gets destroyed or the jump link gets destroyed by the aliens and they tell him, we can't send anybody to the future. Because he's like, I need to go back. I need to take this back and we need to... Well, I remember her saying, no, you need to take it back with you and you need to make it in the past. But then when he gets back to the past, he's confused and wants to go back to the future with it. I, I don't know if that was a reshoot, something that was missed in editing. I don't... Nobody, any of the reviews I've watched this morning haven't brought that up. 
but it was huge to me. I'm like, no, the daughter told you you're going to go back in the past and make as much of it as you can. Hopefully you can stop this. I, I'm going to go back and rewatch the movie to make sure I'm not making this up or at least that part, but I'm pretty sure it's exactly what she said. And then he's exactly confused about that. And then the movie goes a bit further into alien thing territory, and that's not a bad thing, but why people are calling it derivative. Um, they do find out the aliens have been here longer. There's a spaceship in the ice. They thaw it out. They took over, that kind of thing. So they go on a quest at the end of the movie to find the spaceship and 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 stop the menace. And, and Because that, that also plays into a big complaint I had with the movie that they resolved. I have a problem with science fiction movies where they show these alien invaders... Um, that can are more animalistic and can't really use technology, then how do they get there? A Quiet Place dealt with it. You hear a side thing that they, they probably came in on meteorites, you know, and that, that's kind of how uh, Starship Troopers works. The bugs really don't have technology, but they can shoot meteorite boulders that have things on them, that kind of thing. And so I wondered maybe if this was going to try and get into that, that Maybe they crashed here by accident and then propagated or whatever. Because in the begin in the middle of the movie, you're told that they landed in Russia in a particular year, and because there was no satellite coverage, we didn't see anything, and all of a sudden they were everywhere a couple years later. So I like the plot point that they they they're in the past and they go looking for it and they find it. It's been crashing the ice for a thousand years, and and it's going to to thaw out. They get to it pretty easily. You know, there's a there's a hollowed out cave and they they break into this alien ship pretty easily and they find out that the aliens were not the ones flying the ship. That impressed me more than almost anything else in the movie. I'm like, "Thank you." But then they find these these um what do they call white stripes? White <laughs> They find them in the storage compartment. They were cargo white spikes. Um just like an alien you know, the alien eggs were cargo. They weren't the ones flying the ship and they get loose. This is the same thing. Aliens were flying this kind of basically a world-ending weapon and they crashed on Earth. Earth may not have even been their destination. And then what it gets into, I won't spoil it for you, but the only problem I had with the, the drawn-out ending was he eventually punches one of the aliens. And I just thought, really? you got this giant machine gun and you throw it down and you punch the thing. Uh, okay. It did work cinematically, but I just thought, all right, that, that was a bit too much. Now, the last questionable thing I have is, and, and maybe it's explained that I missed it or I didn't catch it or whatever. They talk about the time link device being out in the middle of the ocean right? And it is uh, on a basically an, a, a militarized oil rig and multiple rigs have been put together. And that's where the time to, it's also where they're doing a lot of this scientific stuff. And it's got a big wall around it and surrounded by ocean. And when the females wake up, they make, they put out calls. We find this out a few minutes before this in a scene where they're capturing a female and she sends out a call and hundreds of males come to her rescue. So, she does this, what's supposed to be in the middle of the ocean, and within seconds, there are aliens swarming the walls like World War Z. Remember in the movie where there were so many zombie bodies that they could go up the side of the wall and go over it? Well, that's what happens, but in the middle of the ocean. There's a long part earlier in the movie where they explain that the on every continent these things appear. They never talked about them being in the water. 
That being said, they also never talked about them flying. But when they take off at one time, they kind of fly like squirrels. They kind of put their arms out and kind of glide on the air, which, okay. The, the creature designs are fine. They were reminiscent to me of some other creatures we've seen in some other movies, namely A Quiet Place and uh, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise with the tentacle things and all that. But they're more animalistic, and I got that. And, and their explanation, I totally agreed with. But where did all these come out in the ocean? Where, where? Were they crawling along the bottom of the ocean? Did they swim out there? And were they just waiting for her call? I mean, but it, it's pretty quick when it happens. And then there's millions of them. And I will say again that Chris McKay does an amazing job with the action scenes, juxtaposing it with the drama scenes and everything else going on in the movie. There are some epically spectacular scenes that, yeah, they're all CG, but still... To know where the camera is, where you are, where the actors are within all that mess and drama, it's not an easy thing to do as a director, I'm sure. And you've seen many, many big-budgeted movies where these kind of scenes are really not that good. These are fine because you keep up with the actors and what they're doing and what they're going through the whole time. It it, it gets into almost superhero moments here and there. Um, but then again, this is this is that kind of movie. It's a, it's a B action movie with an A-list cast and an A-list budget, you know? So anyway, I, I've gotten way off on a few negative things I found, but those are from coming from someone who loves the science fiction genre, and I would have shorn up those little plot holes because I don't... That one big editing thing where she says what he needs to do and then he's confused about it, that one, that really sticks out as a mistake there, that, that somebody didn't catch that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll, I'll go back and I'll do an amendment to this. But other than that, my original part of the review stands exactly what I said. It's fine. <laughs> There's so many people that are critics these days who go, man, that movie was just a waste of my time last night. Was well, it really a waste of your time? Then why did you watch it to the end? The only reason I watched a particularly bad movie the other day is because I wanted to review it. <laughs> I would have shut it off. I was watching Death Race 2 and eventually shut it off. I just couldn't get through the movie. It was that bad. There is another bad movie I watched, and I watched it all the way to the end so I could be clear <laughs> in why this was a bad film. But I like some bad, cheesy movies, and this one kind of... This isn't uh, Hansel and Gretel... <laughs> vampire hunters or whatever. Um, it's not quite that crazy over the top. It, it's pretty grounded as some of these things go. And Chris Pratt's character doesn't do anything outside of what you've seen him do in other movies. So again, I would have probably taken a second pass over the script. Maybe got another screenwriter in there to just kind of tighten things up and maybe wonder about that scene where the main characters don't know what the plan is. And maybe he's confused because they do make a big point of saying when these people come back from their tour of duty in the future, a lot of them can't even function. It's PTSD to the nth degree. And when you see what they go through, absolutely. You, know, you don't take anything away from that. Um, I liked it better than I expected to be because honestly, now that we're getting back to theaters being open, I think they're going to save the big movies to hit the theaters. I mean, uh, Denis Villeneuve does not really want Dune to be on HBO. He wants it to be in theaters first, and, and I, that movie is fully deserving of my time in a theater. This one, I think they decided, you know what? This is right on the cusp of when people are going, go, going back to the movies. Are we going to put it up against something like Fast and the Furious 9 and some of the other movies that are opening up this month, Black, um, Black Widow and things like that? Or are we just going to release it and, and have an exclusive? Because it's been, a you know, they haven't had a, a big blockbuster exclusive every month like HBO and Netflix have. I thought it was fine. 
I like Chris Pratt. I like the subject matter. It was a hair too long. I would have shorn up a few other things, but I think the average person would watch this and enjoy it. It's 4th of July weekend. There's a little bit of rah-rah about we're saving the planet. We all need to work together kind of thing. I think that was pretty well handled in the thing. That's not too heavy-handed. Some of the family stuff and, and the speech at the end is a, it's a little bit heavy, but again, we were this movie was aiming for something a little bit higher, and I'll, I'll give them credit for that. If I had to give it a numerical review, I'd say it's a three and a half out of five. It's it's definitely good special effects, good action, good acting all around. It, it's not my favorite sci-fi movie of the year, but far from the worst. I'm Scott Hamilton. I'm Rockfile. My website is therockfile.com. It's got the links to everything you would like to share, subscribe, and like. Please, please, please. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you and yours have a very safe and happy holiday.